My text today is 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 7. One short text today, but a powerful text. It says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Right now, this world is looking through everything or at everything through the lens of the coronavirus. The lens is being used to determine almost everything that goes on, what we do in the hospitals, what kind of government policies we pass or don't pass, where we allocate resources, when and how to open up the economy, what safe practices need to remain in place after we open up the economy for how long, how do we protect the vulnerable and how do we protect life and how will this affect me long term? Everybody is looking at life right now through the lens of the coronavirus. And it is necessary to some extent to look through that lens and especially those who have to make decisions. And we pray that as they look through that lens, God gives them the wisdom that they need to lead us in the right direction. But today, I want to give you a better lens. I want to give you a lens of hope and healing to look through, and it is called the lens of faith. That's what I want to minister to you on. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by your power? Would you make this message real, relevant, and transformative to every person who hears it and applies it to their life? In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said... That was better back here from the worship team. I appreciate that. When it comes to the lens of faith, the first thing that we got to know, it is indeed a superior lens. So often when we talk about faith, to us, we look at it as a lever. We look at faith through the eyes of some of the famous stories in the Bible. For instance, when Jesus said to the two blind men in Matthew chapter 9, he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Or we look at faith through the lens of what Jesus said to Jairus in Mark chapter number 5 when they found out that his daughter was dead. They said, he said to him, don't be afraid, only believe. Or perhaps we look at faith through what James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in his epistle, James chapter number 1. He said, verse number 5, he said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But then he says, But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he that doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro by the wind. For let not that man suppose he shall receive anything of the Lord for a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I know you're not supposed to do that right now, but I have to to turn the page. And, and when, we, when we think about faith, so many times we think about faith in light of these scriptures, and we come away with an understanding that faith is simply a lever. It's a lever that we pull or a light switch that we flip in times or in moments of crisis that allows us to receive what God so joyfully wants to do for us because of what, it, what Jesus has willfully done for us. And sadly, what happens when it comes to our faith, when we look at it simply as a lever, is we pull it as if it's a slot machine in Vegas, hoping that we're going to hit lucky sevens in heaven. Come on, baby Jesus. Come on, do this for me now, Jesus. And when we look at faith that way, we have a short-sighted understanding of faith that doesn't help us to get through times of crisis because faith is bigger than that. Faith is more important than that. Now, let me make it clear that we must understand faith is an absolute necessity in receiving from God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. 
says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Notice the phraseology, must believe. Faith is not a maybe, it's a must. Matter of fact, faith is one of the power twins in salvation. It's one of the power twins of receiving anything good from the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, through faith. Anything that we receive from God comes by grace through faith. To be sure, faith is the pathway through which God's promises of grace manifest in our life. Grace is the reason faith is the road. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, makes everything, all of God's goodness possible. Faith, the Father's assurance in our heart, is the pathway by which those promises travel from heaven to earth. Be that as it may, faith is a must, not a maybe, it's a must. Be that as it may, there's a better way to think of faith than a lever that we pull that produces a promised result. Faith, a better way to think of it, is a lens or a way in which we look at life. Notice the text again, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, the text is telling us it's not just a lever. It's not just a means to an end. It is a way that we look at life, a way that helps us to see more clearly, a way that helps us to comprehend when life is confusing, a way that helps us to see Christ in crisis, a way that helps us to know that even when we cannot trace God's hand, we can trust God's heart, a way, as the song says, that even when we can't see him, we know that he's working because he never stops, never stops working. Faith helps us to see the invisible hand of God in the midst of impossible circumstances. Just like the lens of a pair of glasses helps correct the refraction error that blurs your vision and lets in light, faith lets in enough light so that you can see what God wants you to see. Faith is not a lever that sometimes hits and sometimes misses. Faith is always available to guide you through life. And so my question for you is, are you looking at life through the lens of faith or are you looking at life through the lens of fear, because it's all about that lens, about that lens. No, just play with y'all. Anyway, uh, I want I want to submit for your approval that every Bible great, every single one of them, looked through the lens of faith. Elisha, the great prophet of God, he was with his servant, and they were surrounded by a confederate of enemy armies. And the servant got in a panic. He woke up a little earlier than Elisha. And he walked outside and he saw that they were surrounded by these armies. And he went back and he said, boss, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're surrounded. And Elisha got up very peacefully. I can see him, you know, holding his coffee, drinking his morning espresso. And he looks out and he says, Lord, would you open up his eyes that he would see that there are more for us than are against us? What was the difference between the way Elijah looked and the way the servant looked? The servant looked at life through circumstances that were surrounding him. Elijah looked at life through the lens of faith. And when you look at life through the lens of faith, you look differently. You feel differently. It produces not a panic, but a peace. Elijah 
Elisha's mentor, he was in a situation where there was a drought in the land. And he sent his servant out to go look for any sign that there would be rain coming in the middle of this drought. The seventh time the servant goes, he comes back. He says, well, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah says to him, go tell Ahab to get off the mountain because the rain is going to stop him. It's going to pour. If I was a servant, I'm thinking, this guy's got to be crazy. I said, a cloud the size of a man's hand. But Elijah, Elijah wasn't crazy. He was seeing clearly because he was looking through the lens of faith. What about Abraham? Abraham was told by God to go offer up his son Isaac. And so he, he goes, and him and Isaac, they go up to the top of, of the mountain to offer Isaac. Isaac doesn't really know that that's the plan at the beginning. And Isaac look and he, looks and he says, Dad, there's the wood, there's the fire, but where's the offering? Do you know what Abraham said? He said, son, God will provide himself the sacrifice. How could Abraham say that in the middle of such a heart-wrenching set of circumstances because he was looking through the lens of faith? What am I saying to you? That faith is not a lever that we pull. It's a lens that we look through that enables us to be at peace in the middle of pandemics, to expect big things when there's little evidence, to trust God in time of trouble, to make sense out of suffering, to stay strong despite circumstances that ought to make you weak, to keep a sound mind in a scary world, to have hope in the face of despair and experience protection when you're surrounded by problems. Faith is a superior lens that we can always look through. It's not that we're ignorant optimists, but rather we've been to the heavenly ophthalmologist. It's not that we ignore what is, but it's we have a greater confidence of whose life or whose hands our life is in. It's not that we are immune to what is around us, but we have better evidence of the God who surrounds us. God's word to you today is look through a better lens, the lens of faith. If you're going to look through this lens, one of the things you have to know is you've got to choose this lens. You know, if we're not careful, we read the Bible, we can think that only the Bible greats look through the lens of faith as though there's some faith gene out there. That if you have the faith gene, you know, you'll, you'll be an optimist and you'll look at things like God's, God's on your side is going to come through. But if, if you don't have the faith gene, then you might go to heaven, but you're going to be like, oh, brother, you're going to be an Eeyore, you know, instead of a Tigger, I guess. Tigger was the one that was bouncing around all the time. And Eeyore was the one, oh, the world is falling, you know, all that kind of stuff. But there, there's not a faith gene. It's a choice. Truth is, the greats became great because they chose to look through the lens of faith. And when I think about this, I'm reminded of the story of the 12 Hebrew spies that Moses sent into the promised land. And when you read the story, one of the things I love about it is it starts out with us giving us details that all 12 started out on the same level playing field. They, they were all the best of the best the best that their tribe had to offer. In other words, they had each had the same opportunities and the same privileges, and they went into the promised land, and they all saw the same things. They all saw that the land was blessed. The scripture says, a land that flows with milk and honey. Think about Willy Wonka's chocolate factory if you were a kid walking in there. You know, just, whoa, look at this place. That's how it was. It was a land that was blessed. They saw that the produce was pumped with steroids so that the grapes were the size of basketballs. And they also saw when they were there, giants in the land. 
The scripture describes them as men of great stature, sons of Anak, if you will. Big, bad, ugly, protruding foreheads, abnormal pituitary gland, you know, those kind of people. And the 12 best of the best come back, and 10 of them, Numbers chapter number 13, beginning in verse 27, I'm just going to skim over it. They basically come back and they say, you know, yeah, we saw that it's a good land. We saw Willy Wonka's chocolate factory in that land. I mean, everything was blessed. I mean, it was, it was flowing with chocolate and gold. That would be like my thing, right? Like chocolate and gold. You know, I, I don't know about grapes and all that other stuff, but chocolate and gold is, it, it's flowing. We saw it. And then they turn it. Then they flip it. They say, but, but you know, that land is tough. That, that city is fortified. Those people are strong. We saw giants in the land. And the, the sons of Anak were there. And, and they were huge and big and strong and tough. And, and we can't defeat them. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. Ten of the twelve, 83.33% of the people. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Ten divided by twelve, eighty-three point three three. Ten of them chose to look at life through the lens of giants. But two of them, two of them, and one of them is mentioned in in verse number 30 of that same text. One of them named Caleb, who had a partner named Joshua, but Caleb is quoted here. Caleb quiets the people before Moses. He says, let's go up at once and take possession of it, for we are well able to overcome it. You have 12 people who all are exposed to the same exact set of circumstances. Same promised land, same grapes, same giants, same instructions. Two chose the lens of faith and 10 chose the lens of circumstances. What's the key takeaway? The key takeaway is we get to choose which lens that we're going to look through life through. There is no faith gene. It is not automatic. You've got to choose which lens you're going to look through. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 19. God says, I lay before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. Choosing the lens of faith is choosing life. All other lenses are inferior and produce bondage and and not freedom. See, listen to me. Sometimes you can't stop what happens to you, but the lens of faith keeps the life of God flowing through you. Listen to that again. Sometimes you cannot stop what happens to you, but the lens of faith keeps the life of God flowing through you. Famous psychologist and World War II Nazi concentration camp survivor, Viktor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, speaks of mastering the art of living under the worst conditions. In that section, he does not try to deny the grim circumstances that he faced. But he said this, he said, while I was in the concentration camps, I envisioned when I got out lecturing on the lessons that I learned when I was there. Can you imagine that? In the middle of it, he's not thinking about how horrible it is. He's thinking about what he's going to do when he gets to the other side of it. He's envisioning himself speaking to people and using what had happened to him as a learning experience to help others to get through their circumstances. He went on to famously say the last of all human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. And so what's the message? The message is you can choose to look through the lens of faith no matter what. Say, Pastor, how how do I... How do I do that? How do I, how do I choose the lens of faith? Because let's face it, sometimes it's hard. 
You know, unfortunately, we all don't start from the same place in life. You know, we're, we're all not the best of the best. We all don't get the same privileges. We all don't have the same upbringings. And so it is easier for some people to, to choose the lens of faith than others. So what do you do if you have a hard time choosing the lens of faith? Well, let me give you a couple of tips. Number one, and these are just basic things, but they're so powerful and important. And when I was putting this together, I thought, Lord, but I've said that so many times. He said, say it again. You know, sometimes people need to hear stuff over and over again. Three ways for you to choose the lens of faith. Number one, watch what you say. Notice the difference between the way Caleb spoke and the way that the other spies spoke. Caleb and Joshua said, we can overcome it. We can take it. God is with us. The other ten said, the land is strong. The cities are fortified. The giants are big. We're like grasshoppers. Those that spoke faith were able to look through the lens of faith. Those that spoke defeat were only able to look through the lens of circumstances. Friends, what you say has a profound effect on the lens that you choose. Oftentimes it is your words that are choosing your lens for you. And so during this time, I want to encourage you, speak faith. Speak what Psalm 91 says, that you dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Under the shadow of the Almighty, declare over your life that God will deliver you, that no evil shall befall you, no plague shall come nigh your dwelling. Declare he'll give his angels charge over you. Declare you'll call and he'll answer. Declare that he will be with you in trouble. Declare that he will deliver you. Declare God's promises. Speak faith. And you'll be able to look through the lens of faith. But then number two, not only watch what you say, watch what you see. You know, the scripture doesn't tell us but it, who it was, but it tells us that two of the spies carried back one cluster of grapes between the two of them to the camp of Israel. Took back uh, evidence of the size of the fruit. And I, this, the scripture doesn't say who it was, but I'm betting the ranch, everything I got on the fact that Caleb and Joshua were the two who carried back the grapes. And as everybody else is having a picture in their mind of the giants, I believe Caleb and Joshua are looking at the basketball-sized grapes. See, here's the point. What you fix your focus on, what you determine to keep before your eyes determines whether you're going to be able to look through the lens of faith or the lens of fear. So stop watching the death tolls and the case numbers like they are an attendance tracker at a sporting event. Stop doing that. Stop watching the stock market go up and down like it determines your future because it doesn't. Instead, here's an exercise. Go around your house. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your very blessings. See what God has done. Right now, you know the biggest blessings that you can count? Look at your spouse and go, that's a blessing. Look at your kids and go, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. And, and I, I pray for you. If you've got more than three kids in the house right now, you're going nuts, right? Somebody said, do a fire drill at home. Practice that, that the place is being bombed with the kids. Lock them in the closet and tell them you'll let them know when it's time to come out. I mean, that's, that's something good right now. What you fix your eyes on determines what lens you look through. Hebrews chapter 12 said, this is what Jesus did. If Jesus needed to do this, how much more do we need to do it? He said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What does that mean? It means that he, he set his gaze, his focus 
on the joy at the end of the circumstance that was horrid and horrible. What did he do? What was his joy? His joy was you and I. He kept focused on, on us. We were his joy. That's what he fixed his eyes on. Joshua and Caleb looked at the grapes. Jesus looked at us. And we need to watch what we look at if we're going to look through the right lens. This seems obvious, but isn't this what the story of Peter tells us when he walked on the water? Jesus comes to him in the middle of the night. The disciples think it's a ghost. It's in the middle of a storm. Peter looks. He says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus said, come on. Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking. But one of the verses says, suddenly he looked and he saw how boisterous the wind was. And when he took his eyes off of the author and finisher of our faith, he began to sink. When he put his eyes on not Goodness personified, but rather the circumstances that were surrounding him, he started to sink. See, we need to keep our eyes on good things. We need to keep looking at good things. We need to keep a visual on good things. That helps us to look through the lens of faith. Third thing, third tip. How do I choose the lens of faith? Watch what you hear. I love the fact that that Caleb and Joshua stuck with the word of God. Did you notice that that they said, we're able, God has promised, God said he'd given us this. And every time somebody else tried to talk up, if you read the story, Caleb and Joshua were always cutting everybody else off. Sometimes you need to cut off nonsense in your life. If you hear somebody, you know, saying stuff that's going to poison you, just cut it off. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but just interrupt anyway. Why? Because you got to protect what you are hearing because, listen to me, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What you hear most often will determine what you have faith in. So, yes, listen to the news to know what's going on, but hear the word of God. Why? Because according to Proverbs, the word of God is health to all your flesh. In times of crisis, remember the promises of Christ? Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Listen to what he says about your future. See, get your eyes fixed on your future, not not your present, not what's happening now, but, but what God has for you in the future. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Keep your eyes there. Keep your eyes on Psalm 30, verse number five. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Why would you focus on the weeping part? Focus on the joy part. Isaiah 61 said the reason why Jesus came is to console those in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. Guess what's coming your way? Joy is coming your way. I love this verse. Revelation 21, verse number five. He who sits on the throne, that's Jesus. He said, behold, I make all things new. If your life is a wreck right now, you know what you need to be saying? God's going to make all things new. God is for me. God's in my corner. I'm going to keep my eyes on the word of God. I'm going to watch what I hear because what I hear determines the lens that I look through. But then thirdly, when it comes to the lens of faith, it's so important because it provides protection from infection. Are you, are you protected or are you infected right now? And I'm not talking about protected with a mask. Fine. That's, that's wisdom, right? I'm not talking about protection by washing your hands. That's fine. But that's not the kind of protection I'm talking about. Numbers chapter number 14 says when the, when the 10 spies came back to the camp, they gave an evil report 
And it says, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and all the people wept that night. See, here's what happened. They didn't practice safe social distancing. They got too close to infected people and too close to infectious reports. See, one of the things we have to realize is, yes, there's a virus going around right now that is highly contagious, but there is a second pandemic that is happening in the background that I believe is more contagious and will do more damage than the virus, and that is the infection that will get in your head of anxiety and fear, and you need a social distance from all things that are going to put that on the inside of you. How do you do that? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Why does it say fiery darts? Well, if you read the context, the dart, the way the enemy wants to destroy our life is by throwing darts towards our mind. And the mind darts that he throws are worry and anxiety and it's never going to end, and it's not going to get better, and this is going to permanently scar me for the rest of my life, dart after dart after dart. And people ask me all the time, Pastor, do you wear a, a, a face mask every single day? It's called the face mask of faith, the shield. You ever see the, the real good face masks are the ones with the shields, you know, like when you're welding, you put one of those things on, it protects you from everything. I've got the shield of faith wherewith we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That protects you from infection. And lastly, the reason why I want you to look through the lens of faith is it enables you to find the good in the midst of the bad. That's, that's, that's the secret to the lens. And when I think about this, I'm reminded of this story. Some of you who come to Faith Church have heard this before. Two little boys, one is an eternal pessimist, the other is an eternal optimist. And the parents are really concerned because the, the kids' personalities are so extreme. And so the dad says, I have enough, I had enough of this. And at Christmas time, they said, we're going to do something drastic. And so they fill the pessimist room with all brand new toys. I mean, they fill it up with brand new toys. And they fill up the child's, who is the optimist room, with all horse manure. Horse manure, just in case you didn't know what I was saying. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. And, and about a couple of hours go by, and the pessimist kid comes out of the room. And his father said, did you play with all your toys? And he said, oh, no. I didn't even bother opening them because I thought if I opened them, I'd break them, and then I'd be disappointed. He looks over at his other kid, the eternal optimist, and he's full of poo. Full of it, head to toe, but he got a big smile on his face. His mom said, why are you so happy? He said, Dad, if I kept digging, I knew I was going to find a pony in here sooner or later. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. Laughter do is good like a medicine. What's the point? Kind of look for the good, even when bad is all around. And, and life, listen to me, life isn't always good. It doesn't always turn out the way that we hope. But when we look through the lens of faith, it helps us to find the good despite the bad. Listen to what one author said. Optimism, in a biblical sense, is not about hyping myself into believing that everything is going to turn out the way that I want. And it is, in particular, not 
The idea that I can have whatever job will make me feel successful and whatever house I think will make me feel comfortable in and accumulate as much money as I want to and, and have uh, mar- be married to somebody who I think will make me happy and who's real beautiful to me and have as much fun and pleasure and power and status and proceeds in life as I want to as long as I keep it real positive and I'm able to visualize it and so on and so forth. That's not what it's about. That's the lever of faith. But here's what biblical optimism is. It is the confident expectation that an all-powerful God is at work, even in this fallen world, to redeem it and to bring good out of it. And it's not just that, that I believe, this is what the author said, it's not just that I believe that there is a God out there, but, but it's also the confident expectation that the same good, powerful God is intimately aware of and deeply concerned about my life and my future. And he wants, and the role that he wants me to play in the world that he has created. That is biblical optimism. And it comes by looking through the lens of faith. I want to go back to the Bible greats. Joseph, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He spent time in prison because of them. Years later, he was now prime minister, and he has the opportunity to pay them back, and they're shaking in their boots. And Joseph famously says, don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God has intended for good, for this very moment, to save lives. How do you look at life that way? After all the bad things that happened to Joseph, Joseph looked through the lens of faith. How about Esther? Esther was an orphaned slave girl. Her homeland was invaded, raided, and her parents died. They got killed. She was carted off to a foreign land. She became a slave there. Then she was forced into a beauty contest to see who would be the next piece of arm candy for the king. Through a series of divine events, she miraculously becomes the queen. Her people are now uh, ready to be extinct. The king is going to wipe out all the Jewish people. And her uncle asked her to go into the king unannounced on behalf of her people and risk her life. And his words to her tell us the lens that they look through. His words were, and who knows whether you've come to this position for such a time as this. How do you look at life that way after you experience that kind of heartache? It's the lens of faith. David was an overlooked shepherd boy. His father didn't think he was king material. Nobody thought that David could ever amount to anything. His father said, here, run an errand. Take this bread and cheese. I call it pizza delivery. Take this bread and cheese to your brothers in the battlefield. David goes down there. All Israel is stricken with fear because of a giant named Goliath. They said he's too big to kill. David said he's too big to miss. I'll go and fight him, and God will deliver him into my hand. How do you have such an optimism in the face of being overlooked your entire life? David looked through the lens of faith. Naomi, listen to me, lost both of her children, both of her sons, lost them both. One of her daughter-in-laws refused to leave her side. She returned to Naomi's homeland with her, 
And she went out in the fields and basically picked up scraps so that she could feed herself and Naomi. One day when she was out in the field, the rich landowner of the field by the name of Boaz noticed her. She wound up marrying him. She wound up having a child with him. And it wound up turning around her and Naomi's life. And so Ruth has this child. She brings the child to Naomi. When she brings the child to Naomi, Naomi holds the child in her hand. And all the other women say this to her, praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. How do you praise God on the heels of that kind of tragedy? You look through the lens of faith. See, there is a lens that is available for you and I that enables us to see what is invisible to other people. There is a lens that enables us to overcome the obvious heartache and still have a joy unspeakable and full of glory in our heart. There is a lens that causes a peace that passes all understanding to be our portion. There is a lens that bellows in the deep recesses of our heart and causes us to say, it is still well with my soul soul. There is a lens that lights our way. There is a lens that helps us to see good, the good hand of God against the backdrop of evil and pain. There is a lens that gives us an eternal assurance that God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. There is a lens that lifts our eyes to the hills from which our help comes from. There is a lens that says what you meant for evil. God will turn around for a good. There is a lens that you and I have available to us that makes us stronger in the midst of struggle. There is a lens that God wants us to look through and that lens is the lens of faith. And I want to encourage you to look through that lens because it is better than a magnifying glass. It is stronger than a pair of glasses. It sees further than the best of all telescopes. I want you to look through that lens if you're sick. I want you to look through that lens if you're hopeless. I want you to look through that lens if you're full of fear. I want you to look through that lens if you're worried about your job. Look through that lens. It's a game changer. It's available to every single one of us. When we look through that lens, here's what happens. We're able to see Christ in the midst of crisis. We're able to see the Lord of glory in the midst of being surrounded by all sorts of sordid stories. Look through that lens. Here's what Jesus is doing right now, and I want to go back to Peter as we, we close. Jesus is walking on the storm. Peter's in the boat. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus says, come. Here's what... Jesus is doing right now. He's calling you. Come. Walk to me on the top of the storm. Come to me. I'm where you find your rest. I'm where you find your help. That, that's the message that's going out right now. People want to know, you know, where's God in all this? Here he is. He said, come. And I'm wondering right now if, if you've made that walk across troubled waters 
to the Lord who wants to save your life, who wants to keep you from sinking, who wants to hold you up in the storm. Jesus is calling right now. Maybe you're watching. Maybe you don't know what would happen to you if you left this earth this moment or this second. Jesus is calling, saying, come. And if that's you and you're not sure where you stand with God, I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer, but it'll change your life forever. Pray with me like this. Say, Heavenly Father, today I ask you to forgive me of my sins as I come to you through Jesus Christ. I repent of my sins and I receive Christ as my Savior. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer the Bible says your sins have been washed away. You now have a partner in life, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. If you prayed that prayer, we want to know about it. We want you to do one of two things. Either click the raise your hand button so we could know that you received Christ as your Savior. Go ahead and do it. The Bible says it's good to tell somebody that you made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's what happens when you click the button. Or if you're on another social media platform where there is no button, write Jesus in the chat. And then one of us will reach out to you so we can help you, give you some instructions for how you can grow in your relationship with the Lord. Thanks so much for watching, but don't just stop there. Click the Watch Live button in the description below to join us for Faith Church Online every Sunday morning. And while you're there, you can set a reminder to come back Sundays at 9 and 11. If you'd also like to learn more about getting involved here at Faith Church, you can click the Connect button. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so that you don't miss a single video and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you again for watching. And as always, remember, with Jesus, you are destined to win.